It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Bar Down Breakdown. And ladies and gentlemen, it only took 153 episodes for me to finally get a professional wrestler on the show. And, um, you know, sucks to be you, Mikey. But, you know. Dude, I got, I'm so I finally... pumped. Don't even don't put that on me. <laughs> so uh, we are here uh, with the main man, Eric Young. Um, gosh, where do I start? Uh, two-time Impact World Champion, uh, Impact Grand Slam Champion, uh, and uh, storied, um, I think we sh- we called it the TNA Beer Drinking Championship. Uh, I know you held that. And uh, was, I think, the only male wrestler in TNA and Impact history to co- uh, to hold the Knockouts Championship as well, right? Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, AJ, AJ definitely wasn't good enough to do that. No, so. hell hell yeah. No, that guy, all that guy does is a Pele <laughs> kick. Jesus. But uh, hey, man, it's really, really cool to have you on. Um, you know, I, I like I told you before the show, I promise I'm not going to completely geek out because uh, this is not a wrestling podcast as much as I wish it was. Uh, but we're definitely going to talk some hockey, talk some music. But uh, EY, man, thank you for, for coming on and being with us. No, it's my pleasure, man. Uh, I mean, the reality is, is, I mean, wrestling has consumed my life for, you know, 35, 40 years. Yeah. Uh, but my other huge passions in life, was, you know, I wanted to be a hockey player. I wanted to be a professional hockey player. And I uh, I played against a guy that got uh, had just been drafted into the OHL. And I realized that I fucking suck at hockey. Uh, <laughs> so that dream was over and the pro wrestling dream started. Uh, and music has always been a massive part of my life. My parents yeah. uh, were crazy into it and had a massive collection. I've got mm, over 1,300 vinyl albums downstairs right now. Jeez. So, guys, yeah, I'm, I'm a lunatic, man. Yeah, sure. man, I, I, I can definitely, um, I can definitely understand that. I, uh, I was a big record collector 
I, I am back into it, which is it. I mentioned it's it on many, many an episode, but it is full on yep. a disease. Uh, and it's, yep. uh, I started uh, back in 2012. I think I had amassed about like 900 LPs, sold them off when I moved from New York to Florida. And then um, my wife made probably the worst decision of her life where she's like, hey, uh, I, for an anniversary present, I bought you a new turntable. You can start collecting again. And I was like, off That's to the races. To me too. Yeah, yep. Exact and same then, thing. I think it was probably 20, 20, let me think for probably 2015 or 2016. She bought me yep. uh, a record player for my birthday. Yep. And she regrets yep. that. And that's, and, and that's what happens. And and every time a record comes to the door, my wife just rolls her eyes and she's like, really another yeah. one. And I'm like, yes, sorry, <laughs> but uh, I definitely want to want to talk a bit about that. Um, you know, definitely want to hear kind of what your, your prized uh, portion of your collection is. But before we kind of hit that, um, you know, for some of our listeners who aren't, um, you know, professional wrestling enthusiasts. Um, so you had, um, so you had spent time in uh, TNA impact, a little bit of time in WWE, uh, but you know, the bulk of your career where, you know, you kind of started to gain your popularity was in TNA, which is of course now uh, impact wrestling. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you're, you're back there now, uh, which is, which is an awesome thing, kind of a, a great homecoming for you. But uh, just, I guess let's kind of hear a little bit of the story going way, way back. Um, you know, when did you decide that you, you wanted to pursue professional wrestling as a career and, and what got you, what got you into that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved it my whole life. Uh, like, I can remember very vividly, uh, you know, in between the ages three and five. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but uh, WrestleMania three was in Detroit. And my dad surprised me. And I mean, at, at the time, you know, I'm this young, young kid and um, no idea the magnitude of that event. It held the record for the largest indoor sporting event ever up until yeah. about, I think, five or six years ago. Uh, and I was there. We were so far up, like you couldn't tell who anyone was. <laughs> But I mean, it was, I mean, it blew my mind. You know what I mean? It was, there were so many people and, you know, wrestling was a massive part of my life. And and my dad, yeah. it was kind of like the thing that we did together. And, you know, there, where I grew up, there's still not cable television in this little rural town in, in Southwestern Ontario, Canada. And uh, so pay-per-views was really the only thing I could see, or I would rent Coliseum home videos from the VHS uh taped tape uh store uh, movie store people won't sure. know uh you know kids these days won't have the beauty of the, the anxiety of hoping the thing you wanted to see was in that night but absolutely uh, that that was my lead into it like, i've been a fan since i was three and like i said uh i wanted to be a professional hockey player but i've never been particularly good at it i still play today i played last night 11 15 p.m puck drop here in nashville Ooh. for a rec league game Jeez. it's insane it's insane but the, the hockey community in the city is is booming um yeah, it's uh, it's still a huge passion for me. I watch 250 to 300 live games a year. Wow. Um, I've been to almost every arena in the NHL. That's awesome. uh, I I consume it like a lunatic, uh, crazy into fantasy sports. I worked for the Athletic for two years and, oh, wow. and wrote for them. And if my mom knew that, she would have had a heart attack. It would have blown <laughs> her mind. She passed away from cancer a few years before I got that gig. And I can tell her that I'm a published writer. It is just talking about fantasy hockey, but uh, <laughs> it would have, it would have made her really proud and would have blown her mind. And then I worked for the Mayo Media Network and Sports mm -hmm. Grid, and now I'm with FTN, which is a more of a, a gambling based thing. But as you guys probably know, unless you've been living under a rock, and I can see that you guys are sponsored by DraftKings, a little uh, thing in the store, <laughs> yeah, a little thing in the corner there. <laughs> I, I use DraftKings almost every day. Thank you, DraftKings. Yeah, uh, and I work for a, a thing called FTN Network. But yeah, wrestling is has been 
I mean, really, I mean, it was the first thing other than my family and some of my close friends, it was the first thing that I loved. Mm. And, and I mean, when I say love, like, I mean, it consumed my life from, you know, around the seventh and eighth grade, all the way through high school and, and, uh, right out of high school, went into training. And then just one thing led to another. And now I'm sitting here talking to you guys. There's a million things have happened in between and oh, yeah. on TV for over 17 years, which yeah. is uh, something that I'm very proud of and still very relevant today in the wrestling world. And I always say that, like, I'll go places and people are like, Oh, what do you do? And you know, I don't really want to talk about it because it's the same five questions. You know, mm-hmm. do, you, do you know the undertaker? Is it <laughs> fake? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it like the Hulk Hogan stuff? Like, you know, questions like that, and which I yeah. mean, that's fine. That's, those are the typical questions, but when it comes up, it's, you know, uh, to a wrestling fan, if they were, you know, I was at the, this place that does stretching and this lady, young lady was uh, helping me stretch and whatever. And I was like, if you were a wrestling fan, this would be a big deal. And I'm glad that you're not, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in the wrestling world, I, I definitely have done a lot. Yeah. I, and I mean, you know, like you're again, you know, your resume speaks for itself, but I, I kind of want to touch upon something you said there, just because it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of people don't know, I mean, like, you know, obviously you, you know, you, you play a character on television, right? Although, you know, a lot of times in wrestling, especially nowadays, it's essentially an extension of who you are, uh, sometimes sure. dressed up a little bit, of course, but you know, that's kind of the, the theatrical part of it. But like, you know, you, you kind of called out, you've been on television for 17 years. So, I mean, you've been sharing, a part of you in front of a camera for that long. And I mean, there's something about that that is like kind of brutally honest. So like, do you find, and I, and like, you know, I've, I've listened to podcasts and wrestlers and people say they, you know, they don't watch their, their matches. They don't watch their promos back. You know, do you find that you kind of relish the work that you do and do you enjoy watching yourself back? Or are you kind of one of those people that's like, God, I don't, you know, I don't want to watch what I do, you know, because I live it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely proud of, of the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say I've been a person, and there, it's all kinds of different ways of looking at it. I've I've never been a person to watch it back. Mm, uh, I'm okay. there. I, yeah. I mean, I'm there. I know if it was good or if it wasn't. Sure. Um, you know, the, the fans will let you know one way or the other in the moment. And, you know, getting really good at it and, and being very experienced at it, like, I know if it went well or it didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't need to watch it. Um, part of that is, is I... I I think it's weird <laughs> to watch it back. Um, in the end, it's just, you know, what I do for a living. It's not sure. m- my identity. It's not new, who, what makes me who I am. Sure. Uh, of course. It's where I pay my bills. It's a really yeah. rad job. That's opened up a thousand doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and you know, the social media blue check mark uh, can do amazing things. Sure does. Um, I, I've been on this crazy, you know, like 25 year adventure. And I've, I've wrestled in over 80 countries. I, I've been, all over the world. I've wrestled in all 50 States and every province in Canada. I've been to Mexico 12 or 15 times. I've been to Japan. I've been to Germany. I've been to Denmark. I've been to, you know, the UK, you know, 20 or 30 times. Like uh, I love to travel and I get paid to do it. And uh, it's, it's amazing. I've loved to entertain people and um, wrestling has always been a massive passion of mine. And it, it, 
combines the two things that I love most. And that's, yeah. that's athletics and theater. And uh, I was a bit of a theater nerd in high school and did improv Olympics and did community nice. theater. And I was Seymour in little hop, little shop of horrors in my <laughs> high school musical. So I, I, love I that. not much of a singing voice anymore, if you, you can't tell, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it, it's really, it, it's to me, it's, it's this standalone kind of singular thing that doesn't exist anywhere else. It's mm-hmm. kind of like theater and it's kind of like sports and it's kind of like acting and it's kind of like you know it's kind of a little bit of all of those things but none mm-hmm. of those things so yeah it's uh it's rad man yeah and and you know as a as a wrestling fan you know i've, I've been a wrestling fan for gosh probably all my life i mean i think i hit a, a, a point probably in uh, high school and I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about that but so um you know my first wrestling event was wrestlemania 10 my uncle took me and uh in madison square garden uh right, and yeah. I, and I was a huge Bret Hart fan. And I remember, you know, watching Owen pin Bret at the beginning of the show and just being like beside myself. Then I got to watch Bret win the belt off of Yoko. And I was again, beside myself. So it's just like, you know, being that young and not kind of, you know, understanding professional wrestling and, and really, you know, quote unquote, it's real to me, damn it. But like, you know, when you're young, it's you, you, you kind of feed off of that. And then you get a little bit older. And when you start watching wrestling again, I guess you watch it in more of a, you know, like uh, in, in a way where you're kind of thinking, you know, like, why are these guys booking it this way and all that kind of stuff. But sure. I found that I had high school. Right. And I, we were and Mikey and I were in high school from 2001 to 2005. Right. So uh, for me, um, music took over my life. And, you know, when I like someone introduced me to like probably I think it was like no effects or, or lag wagon or one of those like punk awesome. bands. And uh, it kind of came to me where it was like, our oh, wrestling's not cool anymore. Music's cool. So, okay, fine. You know? So I got out of it for a while and then got back into it, but it's funny. We talk to a lot of hockey fans that are uh, like newly hockey fans again. Right. And they've all kind of said the same thing. Like, yeah, I hit a point in high school where I got so deep into music that like nothing else was cool to me. So did you ever kind of find like a point in your kind of upbringing and i know you said you loved you know wrestling from the time where you were young but did you ever hit that point yourself where you were like ah wrestling's not cool i don't you know it's not for me and then found yourself back in it yeah i mean i don't think there was ever a point where i didn't think it was cool it's just where i grew up it it was hard to consume right like Mm. we we didn't have cable television. You still can't get table cable television where I grew up. So now with the, you know, the invention of satellites and the many satellites that are, you know, they'll mm-hmm. come and put them on your house for free, you know, yeah. I, you know, the, but that didn't exist until 95 or 96. So there's definitely a, uh, you know, a time in between probably like the sixth grade to like the eighth or ninth grade where mm-hmm. I would watch it here and there. But, you know, the only thing that I could watch, it would came on WDLV, 38 out of Detroit at like four in the morning, a, a Ugh, clip show geez. called yeah, Superstore right. Superstars. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch Raw. I couldn't watch yeah. uh, SmackDown didn't exist. I couldn't yep. watch Nitro. And, you know, we would get the pay-per-views from my buddy's uncle, but it would be like months after the fact, you know, he Ugh. would record them when he would watch them. Sure. And then we would just be like harassing his mom to go get the VHF tape. So we like, we watched mm-hmm. WrestleMania 12, like three months later, but it, but I didn't know anything about it. So it blew my mind. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, I definitely, I didn't say I fell out of it, but I definitely didn't consume it l- like I did when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was young, it was a huge part of my life. And then probably grade, you know, grade six, grade seven, grade eight, n- part of ninth grade, I was 
loosely affiliated with it. And then ninth, you know, the, the Monday night wars were going, mm-hmm. uh, me and two of my best friends went three ways on a $1,000 satellite. So like $300 at that age is like just this, yeah. it took me a year to save up the money <laughs> to buy this thing, you know, Absolutely. now they'll come and they'll pay you a hundred dollars to take one of their satellites, you know, sure will. uh, in Canada, it was, it was even harder. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, it's always been a part of my life, but the real, sickness for me and the absolute love affair started around the eighth and ninth grade and Mm -hmm. my next door neighbor is still a good buddy of mine this guy bill littlewood he was obsessed and you know he had a pwi subscription and every one of the action figures and he knew Mm -hmm. like we could call him right now and i could be like SummerSlam 1988 what's the fourth match and he's like hakeem versus the big boss man and shane mcmahon was the ref like he's insane you know like i can't remember what i did yesterday (laughs) But yeah, he got me really back into it, and uh, I just yeah. didn't look back, man. It consumed my life, like I mean, yeah. just consumed my life for you know going on almost twenty five years now. Absolutely, and I mean, there's and and again, there's there's a brilliance in that because you know there are a lot of people who, um, you can see the wrestling industry can kind of chew you up and spit you out, you know, and there sure. are uh, there are a lot of unfortunate horror stories about that, but you know the same is true in in really any professional sport. I mean, you kind of are pushing your body to the limit all the time. Um, and you know, you've, uh, you see it with, um, you see it with, with hockey players. I mean, like, so the, the fact that, you know, you can be a professional wrestler, like into like your forties and fifties and all this kind of stuff, even if like you slow your traction down and you decide, okay, you know, I'm going to sign with this company and I'm not going to do as many dates or anything like that. But still it's like, when you look at hockey players, I mean, you know, these guys are coming into the league 18, 19, 20 years old. And by 32, 33, for the most part, it's like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's washed up. And it's like, what, you know, like, and you've got, you know, your anomalies like Yager, who, you know, is uh, 7,000 years old and the guy can step on the ice and dance circles around people. But um, the enormity of it is just that like, all of this kind of takes a toll on bodies. And I think that people who aren't wrestling fans really don't realize that because of the whole, you know, is it fake? Is it real kind of thing? And people don't realize like, okay, well, you know, laying bumping flat on your back, uh, like 50,000 times, uh, don't care where you're doing it. It's going to mess you up, you know, and it's going to take a toll on you, you know? It's physical. And and my line is this is like, people want to say fake and fake is not the right word. Magic's fake, you know, correct. Right now, David Copperfield's like, what? Fuck you, man. But <laughs> like, when he makes a Statue of Liberty disappear, it's a sleight of hand. It's a trick. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's yep. an illusion. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. not doing those things. When mm-hmm. you see, you know, a 230-pound guy go backwards over the ropes and land on the floor, like there's there are ways of doing that safe, but mm-hmm. there's no way to practice it. You know, yeah. you, you just do it in the moment. And, um, you know, they say like uh, there was a thing on Fox Sports and they tried to do a sports science show about mm-hmm. pro wrestling oh wow and they said that basically like they hooked all these monitors to guys and had them taking bumps and taking choke slams and getting hit with chairs and stuff and they say like a bump is like a mini car accident so i mean in my life i've been in ten thousand mini yeah. car accidents mm-hmm. uh you know and i'm uh you know not knock on wood i'm, I'm <laughs> relatively i've been relatively healthy i just tore me my acl in march but that's the first time I've missed a show in 24 years. And wow. I don't know if that's a record, like they don't keep track of that kind of thing, <laughs> but I would say it's up there. You know, the only other person I can think of not missing shows for that amount of time is Chris Jericho. Like, I don't know yeah. if he's ever missed a show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's physical. And like, I, I'm friends with a lot of the players here mm-hmm. in town and some of the older players and 
um, I'm really good buddies with Mike Fisher and we were having lunch. This is, you know, probably about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so like, when's your off season? Cause he doesn't know anything about pro wrestling and, yeah, and I was right. like, off season. I was like, I haven't, I haven't had an off season in 24 years. You know, like <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yep. I need to look this way and be ready to wrestle, you know, a 70 minute match mm-hmm. every day I show up. Yep. And that's very seldom you have to do that. But you know, mm-hmm. like uh, the first war games for NXT, I was in the ring for 65 minutes. You sure. Were. Uh, yeah. You know, and and there was no warning. You know I mean, like I knew about four weeks before, like everyone else did. That's when mm-hmm. I found out. So it's not like yep. uh, it's like, oh, well, I better get myself in shape. Like you got to be in shape, and you got to oh, yeah. be ready to do it every night, sick or not. It, you know, it doesn't matter. The show goes on. So it's yeah. uh, I'm very proud of uh, of 24 years and never missing a show. I mean, yeah. things that are to my control, missed flights and canceled yeah. flights. Like I mean, there's nothing I can do about that, but. Physically, I've never missed a show. I've wrestled with a broken wrist. I've wrestled with a broken ankle, Ugh. broken fingers, broken toes, mm-hmm. yep. um, you know, dislocated hip, you know, all kinds of things. But uh, I've never missed one. That was the first time I missed one. Yeah. And I mean, for a, a torn ACL, I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously there's not much you can do when your leg is kind of like a, a wet linguine noodle. But, you know, yeah, but that but that's, I think, another thing that um, is a is like a preconceived notion about professional wrestling that unfortunately you know people just think that you know it's you you don't you don't encounter that and you know like oh you know injuries are are fake and this is a work and this is a that and it's just like you know unfortunately these people aren't inhuman you know they're they are human beings so it's good to it's good to kind of be older and understand that now uh just because you don't realize that when you're younger you just think like you know the undertaker is your hero and you know, there's no way that guy is ever going to get hurt until, hey, you know, you, you can't get hurt. He's already dead. Yeah, exactly. And until you, you, you realize when you're older, like, well, this is like a six, eight, 350 pound dude. And whenever you think of people that are that large, like, you know, big tree fall hard, you know, so it's yeah. kind of a crazy thing there. But so um, one other thing I, I do want to kind of touch upon just because um, you know, I'm getting the opportunity to, to talk to someone who's been in it for so long. Um, so. I guess I'm just always interested. So the decision that you had made, I guess, in in 2004 to, um, you know, to sign with TNA uh, and and to, you know, to work with them and to have worked with them for so long, um, you know, again, like I said, I was out of the I was out of wrestling at that time. And of course, I've gone back and done my research on it and watched a lot of really great stuff. But, um, you know. I guess in 2004, TNA was probably really only around for what, maybe two, two and a half years at that point. And it was like, yeah, around two, around two years. Yeah. Right. So, so it, I mean, it was something that was like, I guess probably a big gamble for you because it was realistically this company that was kind of starting to expand and, and really gain some notoriety. But at the same time, at that point, WCW was under and really the only big player in America was wwe right so it's like you take a gamble on on you know working with this company and it ends up being you know a tremendous payoff for you so if you can kind of walk me through like what made you decide that that's where you you wanted to work i mean uh, at that time you know i'm in you know five or six years maybe seven years of independent Mm -hmm. wrestling i mean 
anywhere that was going to pay me to do it for a living, I was going to jump at it. You sure. know, I, uh, I had been doing a bunch of tryouts for the WWE. I had probably done in between 20 and 30 of them mm-hmm. uh, over the course of several years. Uh, they would use me anytime they would, they were close to me and I always got good feedback, but it was always the, the hurdle of, and you know, they have to pay for a visa and mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe we can just find somebody else. And, you know, let's find a guy that looks like him. That's an American. And <laughs> uh, that's just how they viewed it then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and, and, uh, you know, it got a few breaks with, with, uh, TNA at the time. And, and they were this, you know, kind of new fringe up and coming thing. And, and that's always been appealing to me, you know, not being the underdog, but pe- being part of something at the ground level, mm-hmm. uh, something that needs me to be dedicated and needs me to do things, uh, for that place to be, uh, to evolve and to be sustainable for other people. And, yeah. uh, that was a, a very cool, I don't think I was thinking that going into it, but after being there for three or four years, that was definitely a part of, of, you know, the mindset and it's us versus the world. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, it's this really tight group of really young, hungry people, yeah. you know, making a mark in this multi-million dollar, now billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's, it was the only other place, you know, yeah. like I never told people I was a professional wrestler until 2004. I never said I did it for a living because I didn't. I, mm-hmm. I worked in a brass foundry and made horse harnesses for a living to pay for my $200 spandex pants. You know, yep. like I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't make any money. I lost money wrestling for the first five <laughs> or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 2004 was a big deal. And, and it was yeah. like, I knew they were interested in me. And the, the story of it is really crazy. It's uh, I'm living in Cambridge, Ontario at the time. I'm a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not sure if they're going to use me. I have troubles getting over the border because I had been stopped before. Uh, at the time, I had done a few tryouts with Impact Wrestling, and I was dating one of the cage dancer girls, Chelsea. Uh, there was Lollipop, and the other blonde one was Chelsea that I was dating her. And it started as a joke between me and her. is like, oh, you should just get married, and then you could be here. And, you know, then you, you know, there wouldn't be a choice for them. They, yep. would, just, they would just hire you. Uh, <laughs> and then we laugh. And then I was like, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, man, it's it's really not that bad of an idea. So I quit my job, closed my wrestling school, walked to the bank, sold my house to my buddy for a dollar, put all my stuff in my car, <laughs> drove to Nashville with my clothes and my wrestling stuff, married her the second day I was in Nashville. Uh, and then about a week and a half after that, I started my, signed my first contract with them and wow. worked for them for over 12 and a half years. So, I mean, it, I could have, it could have been a terrible idea, you know, like, but I mean, in the end, I wouldn't have regretted it. Um, that's what is required as a Canadian and as a person that I don't come from an athletic background. I don't have a famous family. I wasn't a professional athlete. Uh, you know, I, I'm not strikingly good looking or tall or, or anything, you know, I mean, I'm just a guy that loves professional wrestling. Um, I'm not good at anything, but I was good at wrestling the first day I did it. And I knew that I was good at it. And it's it's something that I've always been good at. And now because of the experience and kind of, you know, being part of the card at, at every level, like I've seen, I've seen the re- wrestling world from every angle. And I don't think there's many people that can say that. Like I mm-hmm. said, like I, I was wrestling women before it was cool. Yeah. You know, when I wasn't even allowed to touch them. They're like, okay, well, you're on pay-per-view and you got 15 minutes, but you can't touch them. <laughs> like what are we supposed to do and like i'm proud of that because no one mm-hmm. ever said oh that match was shitty or yeah. man that was garbage why are they booking that it was we, we did something else i mean it mm-hmm. wasn't a wrestling match because i wasn't allowed to touch them that was a mandate from spike and yep. pay-per-view i i couldn't even walk up with them i couldn't yeah. stare at them and back them up into a corner so we had to figure out ways around it and, and we did and you know yep. 
I owe a lot to the girls because they were willing to do whatever to to make it entertaining and, and mm-hmm. get it over. And uh, a super yeah. talented group of of women working there at that time. And absolutely, uh, but yeah. I mean, it's it's been a wild ride for sure. I uh, I yeah. sacrificed everything to be here, and I, I wouldn't have changed. I don't. I wouldn't change any of it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, far 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 before you know the the women's revolution that you know WWE coined. People forget that you know the the super, super talented, you know, female wrestlers that were working in TNA at the time. I mean, you had, you yeah. know, they were the and, first. Uh, they really were. People, I mean, oh, people, people can yeah. say whatever they want for truly they were the first and, and entertaining too. I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times like ODB popped up on my TV and I was like, this yeah. is one of the greatest, gold. one of the greatest, one of the greatest people of all time. Yeah. Incredible. Really love it. So um, I guess a, a good transitional point to kind of get into a little bit of music talk is so, um, I remember very vividly, uh, you know, the day you showed up on, on NXT to uh, get in the ring with Joe and that was super cool. And then, you know, a little bit later, sanity develops. And then um, the first time I think you guys had come out as like a unit, you guys had that like kick ass fucking primacy song. And it was just so cool. Um, so and it's a and it's kind of a, a funny story. So uh, the the guys who were doing the entrance music at that time, I actually have a, a personal relationship. A, a guy is named him John uh, Alacastro, yep. who yep, who yep. was working under the moniker of CFOs and a uh, super super duper talented guy. Um, and uh, I remember um, you know us like just sitting around at like some party, just like having a couple and throwing them back and just being like, what like what inspires this stuff? And he's like, a lot of times, you know, they'll give us an idea. We'll frame out an idea. We'll take it to the wrestlers and the wrestlers will either be like, wow, this is great. Or, eh, we could tweak it here and there. So, um, for sanity's theme, you know, you being, like I said, a big music guy, big alternative music guy, did you, uh, did you have any, any input on how that theme developed? Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, talked with John and, and obviously triple H at the time mm-hmm. um, I was, he allowed me to be uh, very hands-on with the whole sanity thing. Um, Love it. He had saw me do a, a match and a promo, I think with Bobby Roode. And he's like, he had always kind of wanted to do this group, um, mm-hmm. but never really had the right players in place. And he was like, sure. you know, if he becomes available, I'm going to hire Eric Young and he's going to be the leader of this group. Yeah. And uh so, I mean, we still to this day have a very good relationship. I talk to him every now and then, um, but, you know, sending in, they sent me you know, maybe five or 10 songs and said, here's the ones that we're kind of thinking. And the, when I heard that one, I was like, oh, thank you. That's the one I you know, yep. loved Primus in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, still like, it's just funky. I mean, you hear it, you know, it's, it's undeniable, you know, who yeah. it is. Oh yeah. Um, but, and, and John, I'm sure will remember this is, is I sent a thing saying there needs to be like some, like, heavy metal guitar because there was no guitar it was just like the bass and it was kind of quiet it Mm -hmm. was cool the bass the bass and and that is what made the song you know and the Mm -hmm. crazy double kick drum and all that stuff is what made it you know i mean it sounds it sounds menacing but there was Mm -hmm. really some guitar but not any like metal guitar and it's like there needs to be this like fucking like heavy like metal riff behind that yeah and then like the next day john is like oh what do you think about this i was like that's it man i mean he's a wizard you know he's yeah uh it, it was like, as soon as I heard it, it was like, he was in my head and knew exactly mm-hmm. what I was saying. Uh, and it was, it was perfect, man. I love that track. It's, it's so funny because, um, I think that, you know, there's, there's an, a very, very much understated, um, importance of, of entrance themes. Right. And I mean, like, oh, it's, it like you the go, it's, yeah, it sets the mood, sets the mood. 
I mean, like, you know, looking at like guys like, um, and, and, you know, I'm biased because like I said, John's a friend of mine and I love the way he writes, but I mean, like, you know, the first time I ever got an opportunity to hear like Nakamura's theme and, yeah. and, and Bobby's theme and like yeah. all of these great NXT themes. And I was just like, this Icon- is- iconic. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, like, and I remember being at uh, a takeover uh, Brooklyn, maybe t- uh, two or I don't know. And I just remember sitting next to John and, you know, John was, you know, courteous enough to get me and a couple of friends, some, some seats and we're sitting next to him and um, Nakamura comes out and the entire arena is just singing this song. And I yeah. turned to, and I turned to John, who's not really a very much an emotional guy, but like, there's like tears in his eyes. Sure. And it's just like, dude, like, and I turned to him and I'm just like, bro, like the 15,000 people are just like absolutely going nuts because of something that you wrote. And yep. not only that, but it's just like, you know, I, I, Bobby Roode, you know, is a fantastic, fantastic wrestler. He's a great technician uh, and he's been fun to watch ever since, you know, back in, in the early TNA days. But I mean, like that theme, like oh, yeah. helped get him over, you know? So it's yep. just like, it's really a cool thing to realize how, you know, how important music is. And even in the alternative music space, because now you have these crossovers and I know a lot of them were, you know, like triple H focused, but I mean, you've got, you know, I'll, I'll never forget uh, when code orange and the uh, vocalist of incendiary, you know, sang Alistair out. And I mean, to me, that was one of the coolest things because that was it for me. It was like, these are my two loves literally just like, it's just like, I get, one of my favorite bands that I grew up listening to with the vocalist of a, an incredible hardcore band that was from long Island, you know, like a dude I've met a hundred times on yeah. stage, just ripping through this. And I was like, this is incredible. It really is. So, I, you know, I guess on that note, <laughs> as I'm rambling on the, I guess the question I have for you is like, as far as, you know, your kind of like your dive into alternative music um where does it start for you like can you remember like the first record or song that you heard where you were like this is it for me man yeah i so i was really into skateboarding in grade school and uh which is weird like i there's one paved street in the town i grew up in uh, (laughs) and it's it's not very smooth like there's no curbs there's no nothing but it was crazy into that and i can remember ordering cassette tapes out, out of like thrasher magazines like red hot chili peppers before anyone knew who they were especially in canada uh you know stuff like that and, and it just opening this pandora's box of music that i didn't know existed and then from that it you know going into like southern Cal- california punk music like mm-hmm. Pennywise is maybe my favorite band of all time. Love Pennywise, uh, yeah. Propagandy, the Canadian guys, but yeah. I mean, they're you know I, I put them in that thing. Lagwagon, Less Than mm-hmm. Jake, yep. uh, Goldfinger yeah. was a huge part of my high school days. Um, yeah, it, I mean obviously Green Day was you know when they were still you know punk music. You know mm-hmm. Dookie was one of yep. my favorite albums when I was a kid, and oh, yeah. I still like them today. They make cool music, but it, it's definitely not punk music. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, you know, it just, and it it became this thing where it was like, where where do I find this other music that people aren't listening to? And uh, it was that adventure. And I think that's with vinyl. It's, you know, like music is so accessible now with Spotify and Apple Mm -hmm. music. Like, I mean, I don't, I haven't listened to a radio in 10 years, probably longer than that. Sure. Um, And I find bands and that's why my, my collection swells. Like today uh, I'm, I'm listening to this blues 
band while I'm working out, which doesn't make any sense, but that's what I was doing. And there's a guy called Keb Mo. And I find out, I'm like, I hear this song. I was like, man, this guy's awesome. And then I get like on Spotify, like scrolling and like reading about him. He mm-hmm. lives in Franklin, Tennessee, which is where wow. I'm from. Yeah. He's a Nashville resident, has lived here for 30 something plus years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I have to go drive around and find this guy. Like he's out there. He's living <laughs> yeah. in this town I live in. And he's incredible. So, of course, right away I get on Merch Bar and I order two of his vinyl albums. So, yep. you know, I'll go through the same thing with my wife. They'll show up and be like, are you bought more? So I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I bought I bought more. Uh, what can you do? Yeah, it's, yep. Now it's like this mission to find cool music that that people, you know, didn't know exist, that I didn't know exist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my favorite bands are, are bands that, you know, have a hundred thousand followers you know on, yeah. on spotify and like sure the, the cold stairs i don't know if you heard them they're like my favorite band in the universe right now i went to a show and i hung out with them they're super cool guys they're from awesome. evansville indiana and wow. uh they're they're incredible and i'm like how is this not played on the radio how like mm-hmm. this music is incredible everyone should be listening to it and somehow you know they just didn't get the breaks and yeah. that's the way it is but uh the, the advent of of apple music and spotify just open this pandora's mm-hmm. box you know and that's sure i think like you know skateboarding and 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 being into punk music in high school and stuff where i had this appetite for i knew there was other stuff you know it mm-hmm. wasn't just the same 10 songs they played on the radio that everyone i knew was listening to there mm-hmm. was other things out there and uh, and i hunted for them they were harder to find at that point you know like the internet existed but not really um so yeah it's I, i've always been into finding different stuff and, and, and listening to different stuff and, and expanding my palette. And which is why I have over 1300, you know, I've got Travis oh, yeah. Tritt and I've got BB King and I've got local H and I've got mm-hmm. Pennywise and yeah. I've got cake and I've got, you know, like, I mean, it doesn't seem, it just seems like I just got a bunch of random stuff, but it's, it's all stuff that I've listened to over Love my it. life. Absolutely. So Eric, you, you, you mentioned that you live in Nashville now and historically people think, country music however you know since you are so also involved in men's league hockey a lot of our former guests play men's league hockey in nashville tennessee yep so like there's a lot of like you know tom from stray from the path arun from he lives down the street from me yeah Yeah, so like (laughs) these guys that are in like historic like hardcore emo alternative music bands Yep. have relocated to Nashville where you're like, wait, that's not where like hardcore music should be played. But like, it seems like there are these very important people from our scene that are now living in Nashville, but also playing like men's league hockey in Nashville because they're also hockey fans. So like, has that come up? You, you mentioned, it sounds like, you know, Tom. So like, yeah. have you realized this as well? Yeah. And I, I figured this out. Yeah. I guess it was, I mean, five or six years ago now, uh, a funny turn of events. Uh, I, I love anti-flag. Uh, we're one of my favorite bands in high school. Uh, I love the idea of, of what they are and what they stand mm-hmm. for. And it's, it's definitely like in your face punk music, but the message of it is like, love each other and, you know, fuck racism and you know, mm-hmm. it's it's amazing. You know what I mean, and that speaks to me. Uh, yeah. And I'm listening to this hockey podcast. I'm actually like, I got my headphones in. I'm I'm sitting kind of where I'm sitting right now. I'm getting ready to go on this other hockey podcast, and it's Chris Dose, Chris Baker yeah, from Anti Flag. And I was like, fuck, I didn't have any idea that he was this hockey guy, you know. And uh, anyways, I'm listening to him. He's from Pittsburgh. He's a Penguins fan. And this was the year that 
Nashville and Pittsburgh played in the Stanley Cup finals. I went to every single game. Uh, anyways, so I just sent him a message through um, Twitter saying, hey, man, I just heard you on this podcast. I came on just after you. I'm a professional wrestler, been a huge fan, fan of anti-flag. You know, I think you did awesome. It's really cool that you're into hockey. And then we just hit it off. And he's one of my really good friends. We talk all the time. Uh, and he, he's he travels with his equipment wherever they go. He plays. Uh, and he came and it was like him and it was uh, Tom from Stray and the bass player from Less Than Jake and Jay Weinberg, the drummer from Slipknot, was supposed to come, but something came up and he lives down the street. For, I've never met him, but I mean, he lives down the street. There's a bunch of country music um, guys that play as well. Uh, Dirks Bentley is a really good hockey player. And I say this about Chris Dose. I don't know if you'll ever see this, but he's an unbelievable hockey player. Like, yeah, unbelievable I, hockey player. I've seen some of his stick handling videos that he puts up and yeah. it's like Rob Shrimp. Like he is. It's crazy. crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It, I, it blew me away. It blew me away. We, so every time he comes through Nashville, we play, they were just here, uh, I guess a couple months ago when we played, uh, just a, just like an open game, but it was cool to get together with everybody. I've been to a bunch of his shows. It worked out funny. I was on tour in the UK and I landed in London and then I'm, I'm in this pub and I'm going to the bathroom. There's a poster anti-flag tonight. I was like, what the fuck? And I like text him. I was like, are you in London? He's like, yeah, we're playing at this thing. He's like, I just landed. And he's like, oh, you got to come to the show. So me and my wife went and hung out with him and, uh, these guys, it's a Winnipeg punk band called Cancer Bats. I don't know if you guys know them. They're hell punk yeah, Cancer they're Bats, yeah, fucking awesome, and they're super cool. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we hung out with them, and and uh, the show was incredible. Uh, that was kind of like our kicking off our UK vacation. Me and my wife, hell so yeah. it, it was really rad. There is a really huge cult crossover of uh, punk music and you know metal and emo, like you said, music and, and hockey. So it, yeah, it's cool, and you you cross paths with all these guys. Yeah, we we've been really really fortunate because we don't, we don't exist without that crossover, and we've been yeah. able to, like I said, 150 plus episodes. And uh, real quick before we uh, talk a little bit about our sponsor DraftKings, just want to give a shout out to uh, our homies in Stray. Uh, they just got added to that uh, enormous Under Oath tour um, in the wake of Every Time I Die, unfortunately breaking up. But um, I I'd say putting stray on that is, is going to do wonders for, for stray uh, and, and that under oath tour. Cause um, every record that stray puts out just gets more and more brutal. And I love it. Unreal, so, yeah. so Tom, if you're listening to this shout out, also shout out to, to trade win too. Cause that his other band is rips too. But um, yeah, so very, a, a lot of, a lot of cool things we talked about. Um, one of the things that, you know, does kind of bum me out is as the hockey season is kind of unfolding, um, you know, we are, you know, our beloved Islanders, of course, are, you know, sort of circling the drain here. Uh, but um, I haven't been super excited about, you know, using uh, DraftKings, you know, daily stuff recently just because, uh, you know, it's been bumming me out a little bit. But if you are a football fan, um, DraftKings is doing some awesome stuff. So you got four teams left in the playoffs. And uh, that means you got four teams left for you to bet on. So you got to remember that DraftKings, they're an official, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and they're counting down to Super Bowl 56. So they are still running wild doing 56 to 1 odds on any team. So if you bet just $5, you can get 280 in free bets if your team wins. And if you're not a new customer, you can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays, which is awesome. So you can buy multiple bets 
from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. And of course, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So you're not hamstrung. So you can take your money out, put it in, which is awesome. So uh, like we always tell you, download that DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use that promo code THPN. You get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. So bet just $5. You win 280 in free bets if your team wins. So that's awesome. Promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds. And that's at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And again, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or who would you call, Mikey? The movie life. Ah, I'm you're ready getting, for that. <laughs> you're getting better at this. I love it. So, Eric, I, I want to talk more crossovers because it, it's what we're all about. And just because we don't normally get the opportunity to talk about the crossover between wrestling and hockey, Tom says that it exists. So it's big. Yeah, it's big. So I, you know, obviously the main crossover is that a lot of your events happen in the same arenas where hockey is also played. So I guess, tell me like one of those like crossover moments where like your two worlds, like wrestling and hockey meshed perfectly. And you're like, I can't believe this is happening right now as like a hockey fan. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot. You mean like there's a lot of like you know huge name guys. CM Punk is, is a massive hockey fan, predominantly Chicago, but he follows the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like me and his kind of friendship sparked up that way. Um, I wouldn't say that we're close, but we're very friendly and we talk a lot during uh, the hockey season. Um, trying to think. I mean, I had a really cool moment. Uh, I was wrestling for the WWE and we were in Toronto at the Air Canada Center. And I have a picture of me sitting. I don't know why how this happened. Normally, they had us change in the visitor's room. We'd never be allowed in the actual dressing room. It's, like, huge and locked off and whatever. You're not allowed to go in there. And something happened, and we were in the Maple Leafs. And there's, I have this really cool picture. I'm in this really cool suit. And I'm sitting in Austin Matthews' stall. It was <laughs> his birthday. And I was like, happy birthday. I'm sitting in your stall. You don't know who I am, but this is a big deal for me. Uh He's like a child. I could, I'm almost old enough to be his dad. Uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Like we were in Washington and me and Bobby Roode. Um, I'm trying to think of the coach. Not uh, not Laviolette, obviously, but before him. Oh, my God. I'm blanking on his name. Tall guy, bald head. The coach of, for the Washington Capitals that just, just got released last year. God, Barry I Trotz? Think of his name. No, before him. Just before him. Oh, I, I'm drawing a blank trots. too. <laughs> I can't. I can see him. I can see him. Anyways, he, him, his son is a huge wrestling fan. So he came down and he's like, "If you guys want to come see," and like we went through the whole back facilities and like I, he's like, you know, have you heard of Ovechkin? I was like, yeah, you know, I've heard of him before. Like, <laughs> I, he he passes me a stick and I'm like stick handling this puck on the rug with Ovechkin's stick before the game and uh, I mean it, it, it's wild, man. And uh, we were in where were we? St. Louis, uh, Mark Savard, uh, a player that was unbelievable before he got hurt. Like, I think he would have broke a ton of records. Um, but anyways, he, he's a huge wrestling guy and, uh, I, I got him some tickets and he knows Bobby Roode, um, because he grew up in Peterborough, I believe, which is where Bobby's from anyways. 
they know some people through some mutual people and I got them some tickets. Bobby was on raw and I was on SmackDown. We were there and he, he was there. He's just, you know, he's a, a special teams coach, uh, power play guy. And uh, I went and like went through the whole back and just shot the shit about hockey and about wrestling awesome. with him for like two and a half hours. I was like, well, I guess I got to go back to work at some point, but there's, I mean, I'm forgetting a thousand. I'm literally a thousand of them, but uh, <laughs> sitting in Austin, Matthew stall was, was unbelievable and and because of wrestling and this like quote unquote celebrity that i have like i i'm i'm friends with a lot of players like i said like i'm buddies with mike fisher that's because of the fishing show that i had on animal planet he's a crazy outdoorsman and like twitter was like this is pretty new probably 2010 i think i joined in 2009 and i get this message from mike fisher and it's like hey is this eric young and i'm like yeah is this mike fisher (laughs) <laughs> he's like yes because like blue check marks didn't exist you know what I mean? yeah, so you yeah, didn't yeah. know yep. and he's like oh my god like i can't believe i'm talking to you i was like what the what the fuck is my life this is insane <laughs> mm-hmm. like i've loved him forever loved him when he played in ottawa he's one of my favorite predators of all time i still have one of his jerseys anyways we get talking back and forth and he's like yeah me and my wife we've watched every one of your shows and i'm like Carrie Underwood watches my shitty fishing show on Animal Planet. This is <laughs> fucking nuts. Uh, like he's a really good buddy of mine. And um, there's a lot of guys here. Like Nashville became, like you said, with music. I mean, the reality yeah. is, is this has been a destination for people of all walks yeah. of life. You know, Bobby oh, Ryan yeah. lives here. Uh, Stu Grimson still lives here. Um, who's the man, the absolute man. Um who uh, Ryan Smith, Marty Rat, oh. JP Dumont, a lot of the ex players still live here, but like those guys could live anywhere. You know, I mean, they could choose wherever they yeah. want, and they they all choose to live here. Uh, especially Bobby Ryan, he he lives in a house, and he was I was chatting with him a little bit today. I'm kind of loose. I don't know, my life is not so. And I I do this. I do a New Year's party every year mm-hmm. at my house, and all my hockey buddies and some people that I've known for years here come over, and we're going to go to the Winter Classic. This is when. Preds played in Dallas. Seems like a lifetime ago, like in another yeah. world before the coronavirus hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, so I'm like, well, I got to do something on New Year's. Like, you know, I want to drink with my friends. So I started like calling around and I find this brewery down there called Brain Dead Brewery. It's closed now, but the, this really cool owners, Jeff and Sam, get talking to them and like, you know, I just want to make sure you're going to be open. He goes, oh, yeah, we'll be open. Just come on by. And I was like, well, I might have 20 or 30 people with me. He goes, yeah, no problem. And then I get thinking, I was like, man, there's going to be 25,000 Nashville fans in town looking for something to do. So I'm going to like organize this get together where we just all have this place to go. Like, I'm not thinking about making money. I don't know anything about event planning or any of that shit. <laughs> so I call this guy, <clears throat> Sam, the owner of this brain dead brewery. And it's just like, he's a stoner, him and his buddy. And they got into brewing beer and they were good at it. And then they opened this cool bar in, in this really funky, cool part of Dallas. And, uh, he was like, yeah, man, yeah, you can advertise it and, you know, come on by. And then I got Chris Mason and Hal Gill. They they were they were two buddies of mine. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll come by. That'll be cool. And then we made this digital poster and it like blew up into this massive thing. And I'm I'm calling Sam and I was like, I don't I don't know anything about this, but I got a feeling this is going to turn into a thing and you need to be ready. You know, mm-hmm. like there's going to be people come. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll be ready. We'll be ready. And the day before I'm in, I'm in Kansas City. I don't know, I'm somewhere, maybe I'm in Charlotte, and I'm flying from there Tuesday morning, and when I land, that's the that's the day of the, this party that we're doing, and then Wednesday's the game, mm-hmm. and Spit and Chicklets are doing a live podcast, and I'm buddies with Biz and Whitney and all those guys, and nice. like, hey man, if you're in town, would you come by and 
appear on this. You know, I was like, nobody is going to fucking know who I am. You know what I mean? Like I'm some idiot <laughs> pro wrestler. These are all hockey people. And like, yeah, it would be cool. You know, it won't matter. So I went by and it was him and uh, uh, what's his name? All right. Anyways, there's two other two other guys that they had appear and like you know we do a couple of things and then I go and I'm getting pictures for my friends and this beer this um, branded brewery is full like there's you can't get in and Sam he's like we got a table for you but I mean it's getting crazy over here we ran out of glasses like yeah fuck <laughs> I I fucking warned you you know what I mean like yeah. I, <laughs> I told you so anyways it ended up being an awesome night and like how. Uh, Hal Gill, Chris Mason, Lindsey Riley, and Kara Hammer, the two girls that work on the, the Bally Sports broadcast, they walked into the place probably around 1030. And it was like the, the footage from like when the Beatles landed in the United States for the first <laughs> time. It was it was chaos. So all the people there like, oh, you're going to do another one. You're going to do another one. So I, I somehow got roped into organizing another one here in town at Tailgate Brewery. And it's Mike Fisher's going to come. It's Stu Grimson, Greg Wyshynski. Allie Lacombe, a, a, a local women's pro player. Awesome. Uh, I just got off the phone just before jumping on here with Bobby Ryan. He's going to come. Ryan Smith, wow. we're waiting to hear from him. So it's going to turn into this huge thing. Oh yeah, and uh, seriously, I'm responsible for it. <laughs> I don't know how that. I don't know how that happened, but I got two of my really good buddies, Scott and Charlie. Charlie does a podcast called Renegades of Puck, and it's uh, predominantly Predators coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shoots it out of his out of his garage and yeah. shout out to the renegades and all those crazy people that he's got working for him. We got these posters and custom jerseys and stuff. It's going to be wild, man. It's going to be wild. So when I'm done wrestling, apparently I'm going to be an event planner. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Occupation. So <laughs> another crossover is um, that Tom likes to like, it's his claim to fame is that Tom likes to take credit for the yes, yes, yes. Chant that the oh. New York Islanders do. No, it, no, it's not that I like to take credit. It's that I I started it. And to this day, no one's ever going to believe me, but I'm going to tell you what happened. So this is probably, I don't know. Uh, 2011, 2012. So, so at that time, Daniel Bryan, now Bryan yep. Danielson, was doing this whole yes, yes, yes thing. It was probably maybe four or five months like into him doing it. And like it, it wasn't quite picking up traction like like that with like wrestling fans like it turned into where like you know 60,000 people were all doing it but like it was to the point where my cousin and I um who are both huge wrestling fans um you know were like oh man you know this is great so we're tailgating uh, as you do at Nassau Coliseum uh you know because you got to be drunk to watch an Islander game because it was at that point where the Islanders were just terrible we're talking Kyle Poso and John Sim and god knows who else but um so you know uh my cousin and not as big of a drinker as I, I'm pr- pretty hammered at this point. And, um, I just start yes chanting like in the parking lot, just start doing it. And then me turns into 10 people, turns into 50 people, turns into 200 people. So we get into the arena, uh, the Islanders score a goal. I start yes chanting. The whole section starts yes chanting. And then before I know it, before I know it, all of a sudden months later, the entire arena is doing it. So I'm just like, this is bullshit. Like, you know, and, and like, here I am trying to like take credit for something that like, I didn't, I didn't point my fingers in the air and do this. Yes thing. That's, that's all, that's all Daniel Bryan, but I want my credit for bringing it to the Islanders. And now, I mean, like literally if you play like NHL, like 21, like if you throw that in and you score goals, the Islanders, you hear bing, 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 bing. Yes, yes, yes. Which 
me. So yep. say what you want. I don't care. I know in my heart of hearts that I, I started that, but on that note, so yeah, th- like that crossover is real. Um, you know, just Definitely in a real. triangle, in a triangle between music, wrestling, and hockey, it's definitely there. I remember, um, you know, I know like guys like uh, you know Cardona, who's having like a wrestling resurgence right now. I'm pretty sure he's an Islanders fan. Um, I remember I went to like a Raw event, and Ziggler Ziggler came out in like a Tavares jersey, which I thought was the coolest thing. Um, yeah. It's there, but you know, the reason that I think it's so deep is it, it really is all three of those points of the triangle that being wrestling hockey and alternative music. It's all, it's all, it's all kind of deeply rooted in counterculture, like especially now granted, you know, you could talk about the, that, that nineties portion where, you know, it was the attitude era and, you know, the NWO and stuff where wrestling was like as mainstream as it can get, but realistically it's, it's counterculture and hockey, unfortunately in the States, is still the fourth sport, yep. you know? So it's, it's yep. the counterculture sport. And then of course, alternative music speaks for itself. So that all of that intertwining is really what I think makes it also special. And I think it, it gives a lot of people an identity because, you know, wrestling is its own little world. And you know that 100%. Right, obviously, Ho- but hockey is its own little world and alternative yep. music is its own little world. So it's, it's really a, a fantastic thing to see it all come together. And like I said, we're fortunate because, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, Mikey playing pick up hockey with, uh, you know, the dudes in Bayside and Envy on the coast, like we would have just been blind to it all. So yep. it's a, it's a powerful thing. Unbelievable. It is. Power. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I feel it's, um, I get, I've always been drawn to that. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's so much counterculture, but just, you know, like I, I've always thought differently and felt like I, 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 um, mainstream stuff wasn't for me and mainstream music and mainstream mm-hmm. media. And uh, I don't know. It's not that I'm against that stuff. It just never felt like home and all those other yeah. things. Wrestling was like, it's like I was saying with, with TNA when I first started, it's us against the world and mm-hmm. having that feeling of like, this is my thing and these are my people. Um, obviously now wrestling and hockey and obviously alternative music, those are, you know, massive medians, you know, Mm -hmm. WWE is a billion dollar business. You know, it's uh, being in the television world for a little bit when I did the fishing show, like people in the TV world, finding out that I was a wrestler and then looking into it and being like, man, it's a really big thing. I was like, yeah, it's name another show that has 52 two hour episodes every week, all year round. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, conceived it's written it's produced it's shot and distributed all by one group of people yeah name another company that's doing that (laughs) the amount of content that wwe is putting out on a weekly basis is mind-boggling yeah staggering to it to to a hollywood person or a real television person they can't understand it they don't know Mm -hmm. how it happens yeah so uh and it's been happening for 40 plus years and yeah and and, you know it's funny as a wrestling fan it's like you know if I have to hear Michael Cole say that Raw is the longest ep- like running episodic television show in history, like I'll I'll, yeah. I'll barf. But like, and he's not wrong. No, outside looking in, he's not. And and that's the yeah. thing. And and when you think about that, like you think about that in, you know, like these television shows that have that have existed and have this pedigree. Like you think about shows like Friends, Cheers, and like, uh, you know. I'm blanking on a bunch, but like all of these, like these, these television shows that just have their arc in history have all been eclipsed 
by the tenure that, you know, the WWE, WWF before has had. And it's just like, it's crazy to think about. But, I, you know, I think the other crazy thing to think about, too, is, you know, even though, the, you know, wrestling is still, you know, to some people, you know, kind of an afterthought or it's not present in their sure. mind, I, you know, during that era, um, you know, during that the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars, like, if you look at, like, the ratings they like you're Staggering. talking about like 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 6.0 and 6.5 you're talking yep. about like unbelievable yeah and all it's just around, like all year round and it's like you know that really was like the the genesis of realizing that professional wrestling as a medium is something that can be bought it's bought and sold it is yeah, and yeah. and i think that's one of those one of those wild things and it and it you know and being you know, a fan of it, you know, and branching out at getting older and, you know, watching Japan and Mexico and all this stuff. That's a whole other beast. I mean, like yep. in Mexico, like people don't realize like in Mexico, like some of these like luchadors, like they're like, they're, they're like mystics. They're like, yep. like gods almost gods. like, yep. and, and, in, and in Japan, it's like kind of the same thing. Like I remember, um, I, I forget who it was, but someone was talking about like, Ubushi is like is like Justin Timberlake in Japan. Yep. Like he's like literally yep. like adored. He has like throngs of people in the entire country. Like throngs of people and like yeah. and you know you know poor Ubushi, you know in in the at the end of the G1 climax, you know ends up you know hurting himself, breaking his arm or whatever, but like I remember like there was this outcry of all of these like like young girls like just like sobbing tears. Like almost like, like like Lennon had died or something, right? Because Abushi yep. broke his arm, and it's just, it's not quite that way in America. But people just don't realize the enormity of it in in other places, and I think that's something that's just mind blowing to me for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely worldwide, and I think the people that view that view wrestling that way don't fully understand it, and it's not a it's not. Uh, there's no malice in it. It's just ignorance. Yeah. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, they don't understand. They don't understand. Yeah. And if you spend a day in that world, you mean like, yes, I can go almost anywhere and not get recognized, you know? Um, but then other days, like I'll go, you know, to get groceries and, and go into a, a GameStop or something yep. and I'll be harassed for fucking, you know, for two hours and they follow me to my truck. No, like I said, like, if you're a wrestling fan, this is a big deal. You mean, yeah, like, of I've, course. I've been, I've been on TV for 17 years. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it, it's wild. It is definitely a niche thing for sure. Mm -hmm. but that niche is, is massive. You know, oh, yeah. it's just growing over time mm -hmm. and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, you know, there, there's now there's three different, you know, promotions on television weekly yeah. doing monthly pay-per-views, you know, mm -hmm there's 400, 500 people that can say they do this for a living and make a very good living. And I can say yeah. that I've been one of those people for a long time. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's a massive, massive industry and yeah. you don't have to understand it or like it, but you, you certainly, if you're, especially near the entertainment world, you need to learn to respect it because it, it's not going away and it's mm -hmm. only getting bigger. You know, yeah. The proof of the Fox money for the WWE is they pay him $2.9 billion to air one of his television shows. Yeah just for the rights to air the television show, $2.9 billion. Yeah, that's insane. So it's insane. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like you, you've also seen, you know, the crossover too coming into popular culture again, you know, yep. uh, 
you know, Chris Jericho on Dancing with the Stars, um, you know, The Miz, you know, essentially having his own reality show. And, you know, and that's not even talking about, you know, what, uh, you know, The Rock has done or Batista or all these guys that are like. The Rock is like, the most most identical, pers- identical person on yeah. the planet. Like nobody is more famous than him anywhere in the yeah. world. I was and just going to say, I think he might be my favorite actor. Is that like yeah, weird? Incre- like it's somehow incredible. no, like he's incredible. I realized that I just watched that movie with him and Ryan Reynolds, and I was just like, honestly, <laughs> I can't think of a movie that The Rock has put out that I don't like. I think he's my yeah. favorite actor. Like I, it was like just <laughs> two weeks ago it happened. Yeah. It was weird. You're not the only one that thinks that. Like I said, like he's the most recognizable person on the planet, on the entire planet Earth. You know, like he can't, he can't go anywhere. He's a prisoner in his own home. But and yeah. he's. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. That's the other thing that's wild. And then uh, you'll, I, I'm going to tell you, Mikey, now, if you haven't watched Peacemaker yet, John Cena might become one of yeah. your favorite actors, too. I mean, yeah. a, a unbelievably talented guy. But uh, so, uh, you know, just before we we kind of, you know, wrap up a little bit, I, I did want to bring up just because we did a whole episode about it last episode uh, is this uh, this when we were young music festival. So I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard about it. Right. So uh, question one, did you get your tickets? I, I did not. So music festivals, there's too many people, man. There's, oh, there's, there's too many people. Uh, we, we went to, there's a, there's one here uh, in Franklin, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Pilgrimage. And uh, okay. there is, uh, Dave Matthews uh, headlined oh, it. Okay. I can say, I'll say this. I am not a Dave Matthews fan. I don't any own and nor have I owned Dave Matthews music, but mm-hmm. I can tell you, uh, I had, I had taken a sizable gummy on the bike ride over and <laughs> Dave Matthews band live in that state of mind. Mm-hmm. I think they could be the greatest live rock and roll band in the history of the world. And I'm not exaggerating. It, it blew my fucking mind. I'm not even I a believe fan. It. And I didn't I want it. it to end. It was mm-hmm. so good. We saw uh, Marcus King band. He's a mm-hmm. buddy of mine through that. Like, you know, the blue check mark, I put up something about, me and my wife watching him and then he messages me and we get talking to each other uh black pumas if you've never listened to their music you're an idiot and i can tell you that i'll tell you to your face it's un it's unbelievable they're one of the greatest american bands right now i saw them play at basement east it cost me 15 dollars. i was five feet from the stage Love that. and now it's quite quite expensive but next weekend good news i, I found good tickets to go uh, to the Ryman, the mother church here in Nashville to watch them play live again. Awesome. And I can't wait. Like, I, I feel like I just want to stay awake until next Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, music festivals are not my thing, man. There's, yeah. just, there's too many people. I don't like being hot. I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a profuse sweater and I hate <laughs> that feeling. So I avoid, if I'm going to listen to music, I put a record on downstairs and sit on one of my stools in my bar room and stare at the wall. There's, I mean, there's no chance that you sweat more than Brock Lesnar. I don't think anybody sweats more than that. That man does. I'd be right up there. (laughs) But, but but I got to tell you that, um, you know, that when we were young music festival, uh, just kind of like amazing creeped up out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's got such an incredible lineup and uh, they keep adding, you know, more dates to it and all this kind of stuff. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that ends up, you know, kind of materializing as we move closer to it, just because, um, you know, like I said, music festivals, not only are there a lot of people and it's hot and cramped and you're in Vegas in the desert, but you know, you're talking about, you know, the fact that we're really not, you know, out of this pandemic really. 
So who yep. the hell knows? Who the hell knows what October is going to bring? You know, we who we knows? hope that it you hope that it goes off, uh, you know, without a hitch because we've got some former guests that are playing and some friends of ours that are playing. And, you know, we want everybody to be able to be fruitful and get paid and do what they love to do. But at the same time, it's just you never know. And I think that's one of the things about music festivals in general is, you know, I I, uh, I frequent this uh, one in Gainesville every year called The Fest. It's one of my favorite places to go. Uh, it's just the, the whole UF campus leaves and it's just a bunch of punks. And, you know, e- even, even that festival with all of the precautions they took to try to keep people safe and enforce masks, the last fest they had, I mean, I think they had 10,000 people were there and probably a good four or 500 of them came down with COVID. And it's just, it's an inevitable thing at this point. So it is. Yeah. We, yeah. We just kind of hope that that kind of goes off without a hitch, but you know, from that, I mean, you're talking like, hard hitters in, that have been in this music industry. You've got, you know, AFI and taking back Sunday and, you know, yeah. my chemical romance, just all these bands that Mikey and I just like grew up like in that era, like our upbringing as, you know, young, young studs, at least, at least I can say I'm a young stud. I don't know about <laughs> you, but um, it was all those kinds of bands. So as soon as that came up, it was just like, how could I not go to this? And of course I didn't get tickets and I'm not too broken up about it, but um it really is a, a, a pretty cool thing. Um, so on that, I guess I should just kind of ask you if you can get to it in the index of your brain. Um, do you have a favorite show or favorite concert that sticks out in your brain that you can remember every song on the set about that you're just like, this was the transformative experience for me? Uh, there, it's a long list. Uh, I do love live music, uh, okay. but like I said, festivals are too much. Big sure. shows at arenas and, and stadiums, I'm not really into that either. Okay. Um, I, I'm lucky. I live in Nashville, and there's a bunch of cool venues here. Yeah. If you've never seen a show at the Ryman, it I mean, it's literally, it feels like an, this out-of-body experience. It's this old church. The seats are old wooden pews. Wow. Nothing it's all the whole building is wood and it shakes and nothing nothing sounds like it sounds in there and my two favorites i've saw there i saw social distortion play there love it and they're one of my favorite bands of all time and it mm-hmm. was like an out of body experience listening <laughs> to them play live there mm-hmm. and uh, on accident uh, i years ago i saw incubus play live and i, I would wow. say that i am an incubus fan and but i was you know their music is kind of wild and synthesize and i was like oh they're mm-hmm. not going to probably be very good live but whatever mm-hmm. i got these free tickets and we're going to go yep. and they they blew my mind they're sure. such an amazing live band and i saw them mm-hmm. play at the rhyme and probably oh i don't know eight or nine months ago just coming out of the the where you know you could kind of go to live music again a buddy of mine sure. owns a, yeah. a record label here and he got me and my wife tickets and we we're like eight rows from the front and it, like love that like people are stomping their feet and the whole place is shaking with the the mm-hmm. kick drum like it's man it's it's unbelievable if you ever yep. get a chance and you see a band that you like and they're announcing they're going to play at the ryman sell your car do something <laughs> fly to nashville you can stay at my house for free and go to the show it's it's incredible uh, the Black Pumas, the first time I saw them in Basement mm-hmm. East, and there's a lot of weird things that happened with that. The show was, it's one of my favorite live performances I've ever seen. The, the lead singer is this, this crazy showman, and he laid down on the stage and refused to get up until people started dancing and cheering, and then everyone <laughs> did. And it, was, it was fucking amazing. And uh, the next weekend, the tornadoes hit here and knocked that building down. And the week oh. before, I was, stand, I was standing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty wild. Um, 
but probably the most memorable for me is my mom and dad were are, are both into blues music. My mom passed mm-hmm. away, uh, but my dad is still alive. And for his birthday, I got him tickets to see BB King live oh, in, in awesome. London at the Labatt Center. It's like the, this kind of this old amphitheater, and me and him mm-hmm. went together. And it, he just he's like he was like sixty five. He walks out, he sits in a folding chair. And he's got horns, and there's a guy on the piano, and they're all mm-hmm. tuxedos, and yep. just class, you know. And I mean, he was. I couldn't stop watching. I mean, an absolute pro. I love blues music. BB King is one of my yep. favorites. And like the weird dichotomy is like he can't play when he sings. So he only plays in between. It's just, it's wild, man. It's yeah. wild. And that was for me, and, you know, going with my dad and seeing how <laughs> happy he was on his birthday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was, he got me into that kind of music. So, you know, being able to repay him to take him to something like that, that's probably my most memorable. Awesome. Love so, that. I do want to just chime in my first ever concert back in eighth grade. So this is like 2000 and it's the weirdest lineup incubus outcast and Nelly Furtado. (laughs) None none of those together, but I mean, all cool. I think, you know, I I don't know why they're on tour together. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the first ever show I went to. And I, I do agree. Like, you know, that was Incubus probably at their prime. So yeah. like they, they were probably the big draw at that, mm-hmm. at that I show. I saw them a year ago and they're still, in, Oh yeah. I mean, insane, oh, yeah. insane. Yep. They're so good. Yeah. I, I had an opportunity to see uh Incubus uh, play at, at Jones beach, actually. Uh, Jimmy, yep, World, I saw them. Jimmy Eat World opened up for them, which was really cool. One of my favorite bands, yeah, but um, one, I, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had um, seeing seeing live music was uh, I had an opportunity to see Bob Dylan play in Cooperstown. Wow. Uh, and that was cool. And this was when Bob Dylan, unfortunately, uh, I guess arthritis was getting the best of him. and He, he really couldn't play guitar anymore. So, uh, you know, he's got his band behind him and he sits there playing uh, playing keyboards. Uh, but one of the one of the, the, the just best things about Dylan and he said not one word. Uh, other than introducing his band, he just went, he, he he ran through like 30 songs and he just gave everyone exactly what they wanted to hear. But the best thing is yep. he, every time he'd finish playing a harmonica, so he'd always have a harmonica, he would play it and just throw it off stage. And then someone would just come and bring him another one. And he did that like 10 times. And I'm just like, man, I guess when you, when you're Bob Dylan, you could really do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, Dude, just get this thing and bring it yeah. back. Honestly, he, he, at that point in my life, he probably could have just farted into a microphone, and I would have been like, "Yeah." <laughs> he played. He plays at the Ryman. Just announced, actually. Um, what is it? February, February twenty first, and oh, I'm so going awesome. to be in New Orleans wrestling, or I would have been there for sure. This is definitely one of those things. Is like, man, why do I have to wrestle for a living? This is, <laughs> why do I have to be gone when this happens? Yeah, right. Exactly. But. Yeah. You know, at, at least at the very least, you know, you're you're entertaining thousands and thousands of people. So I guess there's a, a, sil- there's a silver lining to it to a degree. But no, I, I agree. But, you know, um, I guess the last question I, I have for you, uh, just as a hockey question. So I know you said you've pretty much seen every building, um, you know, other other than, you know, see, I. I I haven't had the opportunity to, to see hockey in Canada yet, which is something that I'm, I'm, cr- I want to cross off my bucket list. Uh, yeah, but you definitely got to, I, I mean, it's, it's just, I have to, but of all the buildings you've seen, you know, either ones that are still up or have been knocked down. 
Um, is there one that like you just felt like as soon as you walked into the building, like you you just kind of like felt the, you know, the history of of, of where you were? Yeah, uh, the Bell Center in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, I've figured always that was wanted coming. to see. A, yeah. I've always wanted to see a game there. Um, Montreal is this really cool city, mm-hmm. uh, just old and art and I don't know. It's just it's it's an awesome place. I mean, a place where you know half the half of the population speaks French, half the population speaks English. It's just this. Mm-hmm. It's like this being in another world, but you're in Canada. Um, and the, the weird part about it, I was in Kansas City. And I flew on what night? That would have been Tuesday morning. And they played Tuesday, March 10th of 2019. And that was right. That was one of the last games played that season. They shut down the league the next day. I'm really good players with the head of player personnel for the Preds. And we're texting back and forth. And he like, I, I go to the, the we, we get these really good seats. And then like, we go down underneath the arena after the game. And my buddy, Chris Meany, he's been a Habs fan since he was like three, mm-hmm. grew up in Newfoundland and, and uh, on, on the East coast. So like, you just become, you kind of pick a team because they don't have their own team and Montreal is the closest. Mm-hmm. So he's been a Habs fan his whole life. He can't believe like, I think I feel like he wanted to cry, but I was there, so he didn't. But he's like geeking <laughs> out, and the players are walking by, and like, like I said, like I've done a bunch of charity stuff in here. And yeah. like Pacarina comes out, and he's like, "Hey, man!" And like Yossi comes out, and he's like, "Hey!" And he hugs me, and like, "Oh, like, what's going on with all this coronavirus stuff?" I was like, oh, "I don't know. Hopefully, nothing bad happens." Yeah. The next day, they canceled the league, so I was I was there, uh, and it was the game was awesome. The Preds won, uh, and they were in Toronto in the ACC, like shooting basketball and warming up during the day and all of a sudden some guy from the team just ran in and said we're going to the airport we're getting out of here they're going to close the borders so like me and my wife were on a vacation in Montreal so it was like every day we would wake up and be like well like do we just change our flights and fly home like I don't want to be stuck here yeah yeah it all worked out we flew home on Sunday and then they closed the border on Wednesday and then then, I mean you guys know the rest two years later we're we're still (laughs) dealing with it unfortunately unfortunately now I can't let you go without asking about the current state of Preds because they're surprising a lot of people right now. I, I think included. a lot of, I think a lot of the hockey writers wrote them off, especially when they had a lot of injuries. They were battling COVID for a while, and a lot of the guys that they've brought up from Milwaukee have really stepped up. So, like, do you think that they can sustain this the rest of the season? And are we going to see the Preds in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they can. And, and, you know, I mean, the number one reason is UC Soros. I mean, and he's making me look like a complete asshole because I said, this guy can't be an everyday starter in the NHL. And it, it just comes down to the geometry. He's shorter than I am. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not six foot two anymore, it's, you know, it, 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 everybody can shoot the puck. Guys that play eight minutes can shoot the puck and skate. Like, it's, it's crazy. And, uh, He's making me look like an idiot, and I'm really glad that he is. <laughs> I, I, I thought he was a good goalie, but I just said, like, eventually they're going to figure him out because he's too short. I mean, he's tiny. He's a tiny, tiny man. Um, but he's he's incredible, man. And he, and since March, basically, of last year, you know, that was like they're trading that comb, and they're trading this guy, and they're trading that guy, and they're going to rebuild, and blah, blah, blah. Him, and when they put that fourth line together, and I know, you know, an average hockey person doesn't understand – like those guys, you know, even now they don't play more than 12 or 15 minutes a game. But when they put Colton Sessions, Olivier at first, and then Janot and Yakov Trenin together, it changed everything about this team. Like you can watch a game and even if you know nothing about hockey, you can be like, why, like why when those guys are, are on the ice, is the puck always in the offensive zone? Because they're, they're big, 
all three of them can skate. They're fast and they're relentless. And every time they're on the ice, something good is happening. And they put that line together and they just really never look back. They made the playoffs, which no one thought they were going to. Everyone thought they were going to sell. And Poyle was an idiot for holding the players. Uh, he's laughing. He's laughing right now. You know, and like you said, you know, Tomasino coming up, Tolvin hasn't scored like I think they want him to, but he does everything right, like away from the puck, which a player that has scoring touch like him, you don't see that. And John Hines, I mean, is a good coach and, and people here hated when he came in. And then I didn't know why that why that was or where that came from. He's the only place he's ever lost was in New Jersey. You know, like he's he's one in high school, one at the high school level, one at the USA uh, hockey level, one at the college level. And, and now he's winning with the Predators with a team that like there are no like Philip Forsberg and Yossi are Yossi's a star. I mean, he's one of the top five defensemen in the league. He's, yeah. You know, if anything good happens, it goes through him on this team. He's an un, incredible player. And I'm so fortunate to be able to watch someone like that play hockey night in and night out. And I'll say this, like not only is he an unbelievable hockey player, he's a handsome devil and he's one of the nicest human <laughs> beings on earth. Something in the water over there, those you know, people from Scandinavia. Guys, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's insane. You know, and he's he's literally he's just the best dude ever. Uh but yeah, it, it's a it's been a really cool thing to watch. I mean obviously they're my hometown team. They're my team of choice. Grew up a mm -hmm. Maple Leafs fan and I will mm -hmm. always follow them and yep. will always cheer for them, but they don't make it easy. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, the predators, I mean, they're surprising everybody. I think me yeah. included, I thought they'd be competitive, but nothing like this. You mean like mm -hmm. they, there's not a night where they're not in, in any hockey game. And it would not surprise me if we see them make a deep playoff run this year because of how they play They're, I mean, they're tough and they're big and I don't give a shit what anybody says. It's still a massive part of hockey. Yeah. And now because it's so rare to have that size and speed, you know, they're, they're Dallas of two years ago, except they're quick uh, and they're hard to play against, man. I mean, I would not, if I was Jared Spurgeon or you know Jonas Brodeen, I would not want to be playing defense against the Nashville Predators. They flip it in and they are all over them, man. Yeah, just relentless, man. Hines is doing yeah. an incredible job. Poyle's done an incredible job. They've got to re-sign Forsberg. Uh, and he's playing like it's a contract year. That's no surprise. All right. We Hell have yeah. here. So I, I, I totally agree. I I, yeah. I think Nashville is going to to go on a run. I, I think the West is, you know, some of the teams that you thought were it's going open. to be powerhouse is yeah. yep. exactly it's it's wide open. I I wouldn't think people would be throwing their jerseys on the ice in Edmonton, but that's where we are right now. It's it's kind of crazy to see. Yep. yep. I mean, you know, it, the the old story goes there. There's only one other type of fan that are more relentless than hockey fans. And those are wrestling fans, um, unfortunately. So while, uh, you know, while the Oilers fan base are throwing their jerseys on the ice, you know, the wrestling fan base is uh, freaking out about every single thing in the world. And, uh, but that's, that's part of the game these days. I mean, you know, wrestling Twitter and all that stuff is just on fire over every little thing. Every time someone gets released <clears throat> from the WWE, it's like, it's like a, a goddamn firestorm. Uh, oh, but, but they I mean, were more upset there. They're more upset than I was. I was like, I'm the one that got fired. Why are you guys all so mad? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and, 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 you know, and the other thing, and I'll just touch upon it real quick because it's just something I believe it's, um, you know, it's a tough thing because, you know, w, WWE is essentially like, it, it's the big leagues. It is. Sure. I mean, it's like, it, you know, it, you can equate it to, you know, making it into the NHL or the NFL or whatever you might want to do, but 
a lot of people that are professional wrestlers, I mean, you know, some, some dream to just make a living out of it wherever they can, but some want to be in that same ring where, you know, Steamboat and Savage were. And, and, and I totally understand it, but I think what a lot of fans don't understand is, you know, they love their favorite wrestlers from point A to point B and they want to see them do all this stuff and be great. But, you know, sometimes people forget that it's like, it's a job and you're in the employ of someone who tells you what you're going to do. And they tell you what character you're going to play. And so many people in the, in, in wrestling fandom just kind of forget that, you know, it's just like, you know, you, I, I guess the best example I could give is uh, there is this uh, generic luchador. Um, he's gone now. I think he's dead, but uh, some guy that looks kind of like him, uh, Sami Zayn is wrestling in, the WWE. And I think a lot of people still expect him to be just like that generic Mexican luchador that's dead. Um, but the reality of it is like, you don't get to make that choice. And it's the no. same thing. It's the same thing with professional sports. It's like, you know, when you are, are playing for a coach that has a scheme, like you got to fit into that scheme. Like you can't just be like, Oh, hi, I'm, you know, well, Connor McDavid is probably someone who I shouldn't mention because the man is Connor McDavid, but a superstar can't just roll into the NHL and just be like, oh yeah, when I was playing in juniors, I was doing this. So I'm just going to do this. And they're just going to be like, uh, you're not. And the same thing with yeah. wrestling. It's just like people just automatically think that, you know, their favorite wrestler who they watched come up on the Indies is going to be the same guy. And sometimes you can't be. Um, but I think more and more people are, are starting to learn that and starting to be a little bit more cognizant of the fact that like, it's a business at the end of the day. And even if your favorite guy isn't on TV every week, you know, there's a reason for it. And yeah, that's kind of that. So um, at least I got to say that to a professional wrestler. So I, I feel like my conscience yeah. is clear now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, our conscience are all clear. It's just business in the end. And uh, yeah, you know, like, I mean, uh, it, people were mad. I, I definitely, I wasn't uh, as mad as maybe I think people thought I should be. Uh, mm -hmm. It didn't work out. You know, I, I said, you know, Vince McMahon, I, I, I have this amazing life and this amazing house and, and mm -hmm. this career because of his vision and what he made wrestling into. And yep. that that will never be taken away from him. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I told him this and it's probably part of the reason I got fired is he's wasting my time. Yeah, uh, I'm really good at this. I've been really good at it for a long time. And mm -hmm. all he has to do is tell me what he wants and I can do it and yep. I can probably do it better than he thinks. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't work out. I'm not the first person he missed on. Kenny Omega uh, was uh, employed by the WWE and got yes, fired. Sir. He didn't last six months. Yep. He's the best today, the best in-ring performer, bell to bell, in mm -hmm. the entire world. And he didn't yep. last six months. Mm -hmm. It's got nothing to do, it would do with him. It had nothing to do with me. It's just business. One person decided that I wasn't good at it. I told him to his face that he's wrong. And anybody that's seen me do it would tell him the same thing. He's wrong. Yep. Yeah, it's a mistake and he moves on and just click, keeps collecting billions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the world goes on. <laughs> yep. The world will always go on. And then, I mean, you know, I hate to mention, but I, I would say probably maybe the second best professional wrestler in the world. Uh, somebody decided to slap a green Hornet gimmick on him. Uh, I think while you were in, in, uh, in, in that company's employ, but that's yep, another, that's, right. that's another story for another day. Another story for another day. We could, but, uh, we could be blue in the face doing those ones for sure. But uh, 
Man, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with us. Uh, it really has been a pleasure. I appreciate you, you know, obliging me, uh, you know, with all of these questions and stuff. Like I said, it's don't often get this opportunity, but really glad that we did. But, um, you know, just love your enthusiasm for music and hockey. Um, and oh, yeah, the one last thing I did want to ask you, uh, sure. I said I wanted to ask you in the beginning, uh, what's uh, the most prized uh, prize record that you own? Which one is it? Oh, prize record. It's hard because, like I said, like there's there's thirteen hundred over thirteen hundred of them down there. Mm -hmm. um, a huge one for me, an album I absolutely love, and it's really rare because it's never been reissued or repressed. Mm -hmm. Is Cake Fashion Nugget? Oh uh, yeah. Grew up okay. loving Cake in high school. Just yep. like this funky kind of weird band. Yeah. Um, so that that band is that that record is is one of my prized. Um, having that, I've got a. a, a original pressing of an anti-flag album that Chris and the rest of the guys signed. That's a cool one. That's um, awesome. Uh, for me, I, it's not about, you know, collecting rare things. Like I, mm -hmm. I throw the paper sleeves out. I don't care. My, I've got records from when my mom and dad were in, you know, when they were young, Bob yeah, Dylan sure. albums that oh, are yeah. older than me that look like they got mm -hmm. dragged behind a truck. They still play <laughs> perfectly. Yep. So you can't, you can't wreck those, those old violent albums, man. Hell so, yeah. Yeah. It's that. And, uh, I don't know. I've got a couple of really cool Rolling Stone albums. Nice. Um, you know, small bands that other people don't like. I own everything that Local H has ever, ever um, recorded. I have sure. every one of their vinyl albums. That's mm -hmm. a big deal to me. A band yeah. that I absolutely love. Seen them twice. If you ever get a chance to see them live, they're loud and beautiful and love it. amazing. Excellent. Well, I think that's that's a great way uh, to to end this episode off. So, uh, Eric Ey, man, uh, it is an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I wish you all the best in, in, uh, in what you got coming up. Um, you know, uh, definitely, um, really excited to, to see you on, on my TV screen and, uh, love that you still get to do what you enjoy doing and, uh, all the best. I was actually just in, in Nashville this past weekend and, uh, I was on Broadway and, uh, promptly got the hell scared out of me when I saw all of the hellfire coming from these scorn Titans fans. So, uh, but uh -huh. Nashville is a, it, Super cool place. Super bummed, super bummed out that that uh, that they weren't able to advance. But uh, honestly, uh, like I said, it's been such a blast. Really appreciate you being on with us. Thank you so much for chatting hockey, music, wrestling, and uh, unless you got something, Mikey, I think, no, I think we'll I, just see I, you on the other side, I, man. I think you did it. Thanks, awesome. Eric. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, appreciate boys. It was fun. Yeah, you bet. Have a good one.